Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Rishi Desai, and today on Raise the Line, I'm honored to be joined by U.S. Representative Donna Shalala, whose district includes part of Miami and the surrounding area. Congresswoman Shalala brings a unique perspective to the COVID-19 crisis, given her tenure as the longest-serving Secretary of Health and Human Services in U.S. history, not to mention other roles in government and serving as president of the University of Miami and president of the Clinton Foundation, among other leadership roles. In Congress, she's known as a leading advocate for civil rights, increasing access to health care, and trying to get better education in a clean and sustainable environment. Thanks so much, Donna, for being with us here today. My pleasure. And Donna, your background obviously is remarkably relevant here. You know, we're talking about civil unrest, healthcare issues, unemployment. So I'm really excited to kind of get right into this. I'll start out by asking you, you know, we've seen widespread protests in response to the murder of George Floyd and the systemic racial injustice that led to it. Many people right now don't trust the federal government to look out for their interests. You've worked across different branches of the federal government. So you have kind of the perspective of a citizen as well as a lawmaker. I'm really curious to get your take on the current situation. Well, I'm, you know, in some ways it's very exciting. I was out with protesters. They were, for the most part, young. It very much represented Miami. It was Hispanics. It was white kids. It was college students. It was high school students. It was their parents standing with uh, members of the African-American community. And the message was very clear. Our police are not taking care of us, that uh, they're in fact uh, breaking the law and there's no accountability in the system. And there are too many examples of police killings around this country, particularly of young black men and children. It's very clear that we need fundamental reform of the justice system, but more importantly, we need to understand racism and work on it in every part of our society, including ourselves. That this has gone on for too long since the end of the Civil War, and um, it's unacceptable for a country that prides itself on its diversity to ignore the needs and the challenges that one part of our society uh, experiences. You know, I'm really curious. There have been a number of young black men, and as you said, kids as well. And when you said that, I got chills that have died in recent years. And for some reason, right now feels different to me. And, and maybe it's just the magnitude of the protests and the fact that there's an international piece now. I'm curious, do you feel that as well? And if you do, why do you think that is? Because we saw it. The whole world saw it. We actually saw the death of George Floyd. And that had an impact on every single one of us. But it also reminded us what had been going on in this country, what we had been protesting about, and that the police departments across this country had to look at themselves. And all of us had to look at them and say, we want fundamental change. We do not want bullies in our police department. We want people that understand what their roles are and their public service roles as well. And that their rules, and they cannot get away with anything. 
And I think that we have said that very clearly with these protests. You know, there's so much focus right now on law enforcement as a public institution, a societal institution. You just kind of correctly brought up that we need to root out racism and its causes from all institutions. In terms of healthcare, we know that obviously there's a lot of bias in healthcare as well. Uh, race affects health outcomes. It's very well documented now, maternal health, how much pain medication you get. I'm just curious, can you talk about any work that you're aware of that's helping to reduce systemic racial bias in healthcare specifically? Well, we've been working on disparities in healthcare for a very long time. They have made some impact, but not significant impact. And when coronavirus hit, we saw the flaws in our system, and it wasn't just coverage. It was more fundamental because it wasn't just related to poverty. Middle-class minorities were not getting the level of care uh, that they needed to get. This was hitting uh, older people in nursing homes, but it also was disproportionately hitting minorities. Now, we've known for a long time that things like maternal mortality hits Black women in higher percentages than it does uh, white women. So we've had these disparities and what COVID-19 did was remind us the disparities of the healthcare system, but it also reminded us about the disparities uh, in education, in healthcare, in job opportunities. Everybody's talking about the fact that we're gonna shift over because we've learned a lot about our ability to work uh, with Zoom and with other things and to do our business. That's not true for poor people. They work in the restaurants in Miami. They clean the buildings. They're not going to be able to uh, do teleworking. They're more at risk than anyone else for COVID-19 because they have to be out. They work in the grocery stores. They work in the drug stores. And when people talk to me about, well, work is going to change, not for them. And, and we haven't focused testing on the population that has to go to work. There are huge gaps and they're not just healthcare and they're not just education. They're for working folks in this country. It feels like in the last four years or even the last 20 years in, in my adult lifetime, uh, there hasn't been really a time quite like this one. And you always feel like this moment is the busiest maybe, but this feels extremely busy. And uh, what's frustrating about it is the, is the feeling of hyper-partisanship in, in the federal level. What is your sense on any sort of glimmer of optimism? I know the, the list of things to be down on is quite long. Point me to something that gives you hope when you wake up in the morning, given all the things that you- The first two bills, three bills that we passed, the CARES bills, the initial bills were bipartisan, overwhelming votes. And now suddenly, when we need to get another tranche of money out, the president and the uh, Republicans in the Senate have said, wait a minute, maybe we spent enough money. Look, employment's coming back. Those numbers are fuzzy. Employment is coming back because we invested in small businesses, but we didn't invest enough in those businesses. We're gonna to have to do a lot more because there are a lot of people that aren't gonna be able to get back to work. We need to extend that unemployment. We need to give money to state and local governments or they're gonna start laying people off. Can we afford to have teachers laid off or police officers or, or fire officials or other municipal officials, the sanitation workers? Now, of course we can't. 
So we need to give money to state and local governments fairly quickly. That was in our HEROES bill, and um, there's no movement over at the Senate. But the first bills were bipartisan. But we still believe that there is a crisis here and that we need to invest more resources in this crisis. Donna, what are some, some things you've seen then at the state level or the local level, uh, solutions at that level that you think are creative and are effective that you just wish more communities knew about uh, so they could implement as well? I think we did a heck of a job trying to get food to kids and to seniors. We put a simple telephone number in place for seniors, 311. Call 311 in Miami. They'll hook you up with Meals on Wheels and anything else you need. For example, if you're homebound, you need to get tested for COVID-19, we'll send a fire official to test you. We also have been very responsive on testing for people that don't have cars, that can't do a drive-through. So we have walk-in clinics in the community, in the federally qualified community centers. I'm curious, given that you've been so involved in the U.S. healthcare system, what are some common misconceptions people have about the way things work? We'd love to get your thoughts on, on gaps in knowledge. Well, you know, it's a highly fragmented system and different parts of the population are covered in different ways. So if you live in Florida and you're a low income, a low income worker, you can't get government health insurance because Florida hasn't expanded Medicaid. The cost of prescription drugs, it's not only that you could buy them cheaper in Canada, it's really that we've refused to step forward and negotiate as a nation with the drug companies to drive down the costs. And we actually introduced a bill in January, which I was one of the lead sponsors on to say the secretary of HHS ought to negotiate directly with the companies. The third thing I think we're confused about is that we've sent our supply chains for drugs abroad. And with a single exception of uh, the flu shots, where in the 1990s, we were talking about flu pandemics, and I was so nervous about it that we moved the entire production of flu vaccine to the United States. It's the only one we really produce here in this country. We're totally dependent on China, on India, on other places to produce the next vaccine, but more importantly, to produce the drugs that we need to save people's lives, and we're gonna have to think that through. I believe we've got to have a three to six month supply, which means we've got to have companies here that actually produce some of that supply without depending on the supply chain. So Donna, we have a whole cohort of students that are rising up that are entering the, the medical profession and public health profession. This is what they're seeing for the first time. You've seen, I won't say it, you've seen it all, but you've seen a lot. And I'd love for you to give some advice to folks that are coming up right now in terms of how to put the current situation into perspective and what they can do right now to be more and more prepared for kind of the new tomorrow? The best way to understand healthcare and the best way to be a world-class physician is to understand people's lives. Look, I'm not a doctor, but everyone that provides me with a service, I can tell you exactly what their healthcare situation is, what kind of insurance they have. You don't understand people's lives you can't do healthcare. You can't, certainly can't do healthcare policy, but you've got to understand their lives, not simply their ethnicity, their cultural background. 
you have to actually understand their history with the healthcare system. And that involves asking people questions. It's not so private to ask someone what kind of insurance they have. So as much of a policy wonk as I am and a data nerd, the difference between me and others is I actually know a lot about people. Look, I've been on the board of major healthcare systems. I was on the board of United Healthcare. I see it from the corporate end. I've run hospitals. I've delivered healthcare systems. I've been at the federal level. So I've been at every level. I've had thousands of doctors that have, and nurses that have worked for me and other healthcare professionals. I've run big schools of nursing and medicine. But what I've learned most and what I've told my students is you've got to understand people's lives. Uh, Donna, any final words for our audience before I let you go? No, I, I think it's going to be the golden age of healthcare. I think we're about to go into a dramatic change in American healthcare, not just because we're going to cover everybody, but I think we're going to focus again on low tech because we've learned that going back to washing your hands makes a difference. And if you look at how we've extended people's lives in this country, it's actually been through building codes, through sanitation, through immunizations the fundamentals of public health, and everybody has to integrate that into their practice in the future. A great parting lesson. I would add nutrition to that, which I know you care deeply about yes. as well. Donna, thank you so much for taking time to do this with me. It means, it means a lot to, uh, to me and to our listeners. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I'm Risha Desai. Thanks for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.